This is the Horse Radio Network. Can squishy balls help you ride? No, not like that. This week on Hills on Happy Hour, we're talking about what glanders is and why it's scary, the ultimate debate about classic dressage versus modern dressage, and sharing our favorite workouts to stay fit when we're in and out of the saddle. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where three horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy Hour! I'm Justine Griffin. And I'm Caroline Colbertson, and welcome to episode five of Heels Down Happy Hour. This week is a little bit different because our regular co-host, Jess Payne, is away traveling. So we have a very special guest on with us. Erin Crawford is a Canadian Grand Prix dressage rider, trainer, and clinician who has competed in North America and Europe. Her business, All Points Dressage, is based in Maryland and Florida. Erin, thanks for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. We're going to have some, yeah, we're, you, you're you going to keep us in line, I think, this episode being the dressage <laughs> rider. You're going to keep us crazy girls in line. Going to follow the rules. <laughs> this episode is presented by EcoGold, a leader in saddle pad innovation. Known for their non-slip, shock-absorbing saddle pads, half pads, and protective horse boots. Trusted by Olympians. So, Erin, uh, welcome to the show. And it's only natural that we ask you first... What are you drinking? Thank you for having me. And I am having a grapefruit and basil martini. It's incredible. I love any, like any alcoholic beverage with basil in it is 100. I'm on board with that. So tell us exactly how you made it and how people at home can make it. Yeah, I didn't, I did not know having basil in a drink was a thing until um, recently. And I, had it at a clinic I was doing in Saskatoon. We went out for dinner at Brown's Social House and they had this amazing drink and it's now a thing. I do not make it as well as they do, but I put in basil and simple syrup and kind of mash it together Mm -hmm. and then vodka, grapefruit juice and mix it all up and pour it over some ice and you could be much fancier and have it in a martini glass, but I just put it in whatever's handy. There it is. Um, do you do with the one of the like fancy shaker thingies? Like people that know how to bartend properly know what the hell I'm talking about. But you know how like there are those like really <laughs> fancy bartenders that like shake it like like in those those tin cups that yeah you know, I know they smash together. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? I do not have one, but now that I've discovered this drink, I feel like I need to get one so I can up my game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you need to up your game. It's time. I, I totally do. <laughs> I know. I think even just having a martini as a drink has really like made our podcast like we've we've entered this new like fancy level of drinking. We've never had a martini before. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, we haven't had a martini before. It's usually like, well, I pulled this out of my garden and I put some tequila in it and here I am. <laughs> and like and then it's yeah, and then Jess is pregnant, so of course she can't drink. And then I'm um you know, never hashtag never prepared. So, um, <laughs> I'm usually drinking, well, tonight I'm drinking a spiked, a spiked seltzer, which is, uh, one of my favorite drinks and it's my go-to because to prepare it, you open the lid and then you drink it with your mouth. So that's all you do. And that is that my style. Sounds, that sounds pretty easy. And normally I'm a beer kind of girl, but I figured as a dressage rider coming on the show, I should 
try to class it up or be fancy or something. And since you can't see all like the sparkles I'm wearing, I may as well at least have a good drink. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing the class to Heels Down Happy Hour. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, So speaking of class, uh, this guy doesn't have it. Um, So we, we are pro entrepreneurial uh, ventures here on Heels Down Happy Hour of all types, but I'm a little unclear as to what this man's intention is. So um, this we found on Fiverr.com and uh, this guy will send horse poop in the mail to whoever you want to send horse poop to. And I'm going to just there's there's nothing I can say that's better than how he describes it. So I'm just going to read you his wonderful business description. Uh, so his business is called, I will mail horse poo to anyone (laughs) a little on the nose for me, but anyway, uh, have you ever wanted to convey to someone that it was a load of crap? Maybe they just broke up with you. Maybe they are a best friend that used to own horses and really misses the smell. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you just need manure from your, for your garden. Let me help. This includes a message typed and put in the box slash slash package. Remain anonymous if you like. And you can buy three packages, uh, the basic standard and premium package. Delivery time is two days. Appreciate that. Fast delivery. (laughs) Very good. Um, So you can buy one turd and that's mailed in a small sealed package to anywhere in the U.S. That's $20. The standard package is six turds. Uh, well, then it says five turds. So I'm unclear as to how many turds you actually get. Come on, Snyder Tech. What the heck? Five to and, six. Yeah, I, I don't know. Five and a half, whatever. Uh, sent anywhere in the U.S. in a box, and that's $40. And uh, the premium package is a whole shovel full put in a box and sealed up nice. Mailed to your best friend. Smiley face. That's $100. So okay, I have I have a well, I have a bunch of questions, but my first right. is <laughs> like so. I guess you can put like crap in the mail. Like I didn't realize you can actually package poop and mail it. Like because don't they security like inspect that? Is that like a I agricultural guess it, problem? If well, it, like, I guess because it's like within the U.S., I, I'm sure you can't send it internationally because that's like considered you know agriculture like right. crossing right country line. They want to check my boots when I've been flying from Canada to the U.S. if they know I've been on a farm. So I can't imagine they would happily take horse poop right. over the, to, to yeah, another country. Service. No, uh, I don't know. Maybe this guy, you know, is has he's obviously he knows the system better than than we do. I really think we should trust him. You guys, he seems like oh a great God. guy. <laughs> you see? Do you see his description of like his user account? <laughs> Wait, what? No, what does it say? It says, I am a certified business, what is that, continuity professional with more than 20 years experience in IT. So, like, how did he get into the horse poop business? (laughs) (laughs) How does anyone get into the horse poop business? I wonder if, I don't know, maybe we should contact him about working out some sort of partnership. Because, I mean, we have, Mm -hmm. between the three of us, we have an unlimited supply. So, we could be his, his horse poop supplier. I don't know. Oh my God. I love the frequently asked questions too. How big is a shovel full? (laughs) The answer is a lot. It's about five pounds of certified manure. Gross. Certified. (laughs) 
Gross. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Justine, what do you have for us this week? Uh, okay. So have you guys heard of Franklin balls? Does that mean Um, anything to you? I don't know any men named Franklin. So no. Okay. All right. So, well, there are these new like squishy balls, either filled with water (laughs) or air and they look like, they look like a fitness thing. Like, I don't want to say a stress ball, but like, uh, my husband, who's, like, really into working out, has, like, random balls he uses as, like, massaging tools. Kind of like, a, you know, whatever. <laughs> sorry, so, I cannot. I just, like, cannot contain myself. <laughs> this so, is so, hilarious. So people are literally training and buying these balls, which are around, like, 10 centimeters in diameter. And they're, part, they're used as part as the Franklin Method. So there's, like, real science to this. And the Franklin method was developed in 1994 by Eric Franklin. Imagine that. And so basically riders, the way riders are using them is you could sit on them in the saddle or tuck them under one arm or under one thigh. And it's, uh, it's like a squishy ball that moves with your body. It helps you release and relax specific muscles. If you carry tension in one part of your body versus other parts, uh, it helps improve your seat and body awareness, that kind of thing. And I guess these balls are really taking off in Europe right now. That people are riding, sitting on balls <laughs> a lot. What I, is I've what is the diameter done. of these balls? They're about ten centimeters, so they're not huge. Like it would be like the size you would hold it in your hand and you could throw it, you know, at your trainer when you don't yeah. want to do it anymore. <laughs> it's not like five pounds of certified horse manure, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is another uh, ball that you could sit on while you're riding. I don't think it would hold up so well, but you could do it. But anyway, um, so this is like a new trend. Uh, the Franklin method was developed actually for dance, for like trainer or dancers in training. Uh, and certain trainers, horseback riding trainers, are using it in both unmounted and mounted exercises now. So um, is it a ba- like, So it's a balance thing, right? Is it a balance? I think it's a- Balance, balance and relaxation. awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So like and if you're tense in one in one knee or something that this is supposed to help you release that tension. Hmm. Yeah. Aaron, do you use any uh, like gadgets? I don't want to say gadgets like um, I don't know, devices like this with <laughs> any of your students. Like I know there's like the EquiCube and. Um, like rain, you know, there's rain tools and stuff that you can use to teach people feel. Do you use any of that? I've never used anything like this, but I have, I actually think it could be an interesting idea because I've used, um, you know, in emergency situations, taken a glove off and made somebody sit on it just so that, um, you know, if somebody can't manage to sit back in the saddle, if they have a habit of perching forward, if they're sitting on something, they feel when it's moving and they feel Mm -hmm. when they lose it. So it's, it, it's a, way to excuse me way to bring some body awareness and positional (laughs) awareness to the rider and maybe i don't know maybe the franklin balls do give you that i guess i remember when i was a kid like my my hunter trainer growing up would say you know we would do the sitting trot we practice without stirrups and with stirrups and she would say imagine that um you have a hundred dollars you know, that you're sitting on. And if, if your seat leaves the saddle that you lose a hundred dollars and that meant nothing to me when I was seven years old. Now it means a whole lot more. Like now that would work on me. (laughs) You try a little harder nowadays for that hundred dollars. Oh my God. Oh, um, well that's interesting. Yeah. 
Um, so this this story is is really distressing and it's very sad and it's it's very strange because this is a disease that has um, been eradicated from North America um, since the 19th, well, really for a long time, but the, the last reported um, isolated case was in the 1940s. Um, the 18-year-old dressage horse, Sagacious HF, um, this horse is owned by um, Hy- Hyperion Farm. Is that how you say it? Hyperion Farm? Hmm. I think um, so. He was returning from um, competing overseas. He was representing the United States in Nations Cups at Hickstad and Falsterbow with his rider, Chase Hickok. And upon uh, his arrival into quarantine in the United States, um, Chase got a call that she wouldn't be able to go pick up her horse, um, much to her surprise. And um, he, the horse tested positive for glanders. Which is very, very strange because you hardly ever see this disease anymore. Again, it's been eradicated, um, you know, for for over fifty years. Um, you know, it's very, very strange. It's been reported in several areas around the world, um, including Eastern Africa, Asia. Um, there was a case in Germany in twenty fourteen. Um, it's in South America as well. It's a highly highly contagious upper respiratory disease, um, that can be passed horse to horse. Like if a horse drinks out of a water bucket or eats out of a feed tub that another horse has, um, with, with the disease has eaten or, you know, had a drink out of that can pass horse to horse. Um, it can also pass to human handlers. So it's really, really bad. Um, and, uh, basically the, the way that this works, um, and actually we talk a lot about about this um, process in uh, the September issue of Heels Down Magazine with um, our um, quarantine article that Jessica Sutcliffe wrote for us. But basically, if anytime your horse arrives into quarantine in the U.S. and it tests for um, any of, there's four major extremely um, contagious diseases that they test for upon arrival. And if your horse tests positive for any four of those, um, they deny entry to, um, into the U S for the horse. And what that means is that, um, the horse must either be removed from the United States. They don't care where the horse goes. It can go to any country that will take it or the horse is euthanized. Um, so it's very, very bad. Um, if your horse is denied entry into the U.S., obviously it is not, you know, like being a human and you just, you know, like you hop on a, a flight again. I mean, flights for horses are are such a major ordeal. Um, as far as I know right now, Sagacious is still in the United States in the quarantine facility. Um, they are doing a second set of um tests on him uh to confirm before any further arrangements are made so he you know he's safe um at the moment but i cannot imagine you know what his rider is feeling what his owners are feeling and you know everybody involved with that horse so um very very scary scary. yeah jeez yeah very scary so we're definitely thinking them Hey there, Team Eco Gold rider Jesse Phoenix here. As a horsewoman and a business person, I need equipment I can rely on. And that's why I use the hardest working pad, both at home and in competition. Shop for yours at ecogold.ca. 
So, guys, I've been experimenting with different bits on my Thoroughbred Gelding Mikey. And I wanted to know, what are your favorite, like, go-to bits when you're trying a new horse? Or there's just, like, one bit that you feel like works best with maybe a variety of horses? Just curious. Um, I love, a for most of the work, like, a plain snaffle, a loose ring snaffle, either with a single or double joint, depending on what the horse prefers. But one of my favorite sort of fun bits to try out when I need it is the boucher or the boucher depends on who you ask i have no idea how you say it i feel comforted that a proper dressage rider doesn't know how to pronounce all of the names of all of it <laughs> does make me feel better too <laughs> i'm Can glad you i'm not alone a little bit about how that bit works what it looks like why you like it um it's it's still got a very gentle mouthpiece for you know, sitting in the horse's mouth, but the, and the rings, um, rather than being a loose ring, it has, it's, some people call it a B ring bit because of the shape of it. So it has a little bit of leverage, like, uh, um, you know, I know the jump cause we can't use so many things in dressage, but there's the, like a three ring bit or something where mm-hmm. you have that little bit of leverage. This is just a very, very mild, uh, way of using that mechanism um so i really like it because it it's just a little bit gives you a little bit more control for a horse that's generally very strong um and without it being you know something so severe that dressage gods have deemed it illegal (laughs) interesting do you like it for um horses that maybe want to be um like a little inconsistent in the contact, like maybe want to drop behind the bit or do you like it mostly just for horses that are strong? Mostly for horses that pull, like if a horse, you know, pulls their nose forward or, um, yeah, I guess kind of leans on the bit in a way Mm -hmm. that it's just a little, a little more than I need to take in my arms. Um, you know, there's only so many transitions before you say, Hey, come on, please try harder. So this bit just (laughs) helps them understand but what's actually interesting is I have used it on horses that do duck behind the bit and, mm-hmm. um, I, and it's a little bit like magic. I don't understand always, but it, those horses actually will take the bit forward and take a nicer connection in it without, without ducking. So I don't know what they prefer about it, but it's kind of a neat, it's a neat option to try on a lot of horses. Interesting. <laughs> I love it. Um, What about you, Caroline? Yeah. So one of the ones that I have found, um, and this, this of course would probably mostly just be used on the flat. um, Although I have done a decent amount of jumping in it. I even had a horse that I went cross country in it is the nave bit. Um, It's probably one of my all time favorite bits. Um, I find that uh, horses that want to be, um, maybe a little bit offended by the bit, um, by a regular snaffle. I usually try this on them. Um, of course, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm riding in a snaffle, but, uh, if I have to experiment with something else and the horse isn't crazy, super strong, um, I usually try a nathan. I find that it works well. And, um, I, the one that I have is just, it's a loose ring, um, nathan and the, it's just the straight bar across. So it's like the mullen mouth and it's, Mm -hmm. um, wrapped in, uh, rubber. 
So um, one thing that I also learned about this bit is that uh, some you can buy, um, you know, I guess I don't want to say knockoffs, but different versions of that bit that um, are coated in plastic. And you don't want to get the ones that are coated in plastic because I have heard and um, know people personally, actually, that this has happened to where the plastic splinters. And oh, so all of a horse. Uh, yeah. All of a sudden you have a horse that, you know, is wanting to in the case that I knew of the the horse actually reared up and almost flipped over oh. because all of a sudden there was a shard of something in its mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so you have to get the rubber coated ones. Um, my rubber coated one has lasted um, for a very, very long time. Um, even the ones, you know, on the horses that I know kind of like do like to chew the bit a little bit. They, the, the rubber coated ones really are, you know, pretty good quality and they last a really long time. And that is, it, is my very favorite. I have a question about that. Is the nave, is it rubber all the way through or is it, is it, um, it is rubber on? Yeah. So it's super flexible. Okay. And that's what I like about it is that, um, it can be really still in the horse's mouth, but because it's the rubber all the way through, um, it flexes in their mouth a little bit. So you still okay. can produce some movement. Um, but horses that, um, you know, like don't enjoy the movement in their mouth, you know, the ones that kind of will try to like lean on the bed a little bit just to steady it. I have found mm -hmm. that the nave works really well um, in doing that. Of course, there are some horses that I put it on that they're, then they give me the middle finger and they're like, they try to <laughs> run away with you. And they're like, they're like, yeah, this is hysterical little, little girl, like hilarious. And then they, you know, try to leave the ring with you. But, um, for horses that you can trust, uh, I find a nave is really good. I also have broken a lot of baby horses with it. Um, oh, wow. Hmm. And I found that it was really good. It's it's kind of almost like, you know, especially the narrow ones, it's almost like um, the people that use, like, the leather bits to break babies. You know, it's just a very slight um, feeling in their mouth. So I love that one. Um, Justine, what are you what are you liking to use right now on your horse? So I mostly ride in just a, a plain loose ring snaffle too, but I just tried Mikey in this uh, Dr. Bristol snaffle, which uh, I, I love the look of it just because I am a hunter and it's, it's a big D ring on the outside. So I think it looks nice on him, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, it's just got a single joint in it. Uh, but the, the bars are curved a little bit. So he just seems to enjoy the feel versus the single joint loose ring snaffle. That was just, I needed something with a little bit more for him just because he's a greenie and learning to hang on it. So it, it just gives me a little bit more in his mouth. But I've used it on a bunch of horses, mostly greener horses and, and hunters. Uh, but it's really light. It's just a, it's a different snaffle that I don't think a lot of hunter people think of as an option out there, which, um, which I really love. So it's sort of my go-to bit when I'm always like, oh, I don't know. They're not going well in just a, a plain snaffle. So... Let's try the Dr. Bristol. What is the Dr. Bristol like part of it? Like, is that the, the mouthpiece? Is there like a, is it straight across or is there a port in the middle? What does it look like? Yeah. So there is a port in the middle. So it's just, it looks like a D ring snaffle with a single joint and the, okay. it's not, it's not like a, a rounded joint. It's a, I don't want to call it a straight bar port. Um, I don't even know if I can explain. Is that, that the one that's kind of flat in the middle? Yes, yeah, it's oh, flat. Okay. And you I see know the two about. holes where you know it, it connects to the rest of the bit, but it is mm -hmm. flat in the middle. So um, I always prefer a jointed bit 
you know, so, but I, I like this one. I don't know if it, it just because of it, because it's flat in the middle, if that gives me just enough pressure to, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like a little bit more heavier than like, like your traditional snaffle, but I really like it. It is Great. squeaky. That's the only thing. That's my only complaint because of how that, that port sits in the middle of their mouth, it gets squeaks when they chew on it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how, if there's like a way to get rid of that. Like the, I I know other people have this problem too, because I can hear them in the ring when they're riding. Yeah. Um, And I've wondered if um, there's like, like, if if there's something you can use, like. um, You can't WD-40 it, that's for sure. Yeah, that would not be very kind. (laughs) Um, but you know how they make like those bit butters and stuff to put on like the edges of of the horse's lips. I wonder if um, if you can put like use that to sort of like lubricate the port. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody at home can can tweet at us and let us know so that Justine isn't you know going around the ring like squeaking with every step. Oh my god, it squeaked with every horse, and I've probably used this bit on like ten horses. So I know some people who soak their bit in olive oil, but I've never tried that. So, huh. uh, yeah, Interesting. maybe maybe I'll get a, give it a try. So one thing that I feel um, we should talk about since we have a certified for real dressage rider on with us this week um, <laughs> is. Uh, the term classical dressage, and I feel like as soon as I say that, like, you know, thousands of dressage queens around the world, their like hair stood up on end or something. (laughs) Yeah. They're like a cat, you know, with their raised hackles, like (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of eye rolling, a lot of hackles up. Yep. (laughs) So classical dressage sounds like the most innocuous and boring phrase ever to a non-horse person. (laughs) Um, but it really seems to, to get people, uh, very defensive and a little stiff about it. Um, and so Aaron, I'm wondering if you can break down for us, what the hell is, is classical dressage? (laughs) Um, is there a modern dressage that is its antithesis? Um, what, and why do people get so excited about using the phrase classical dressage? I think, you know, saying classical dressage, it's like, you know, talking about religion on the first date. You guys are not going easy on me. Uh, Keep drinking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Take a sip of that martini, girlfriend. Delicious. Thank you. Um, So classical dressage, you know, I think that there's definitely a difference if you ask people classical versus modern dressage or classical versus competitive dressage um some people think that classical dressage is riding according to how xenophon did it you know way back when they first tamed horses and started actually training them and nothing has changed since then and um others it's just adhering to the german riding principles which you know there's a thousand books on that um other people think if you're a classical dressage rider, you never go to a show because that's horrible for your horse. Wait, uh, is that real? Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. 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 People get their own ideas about stuff and they stick to it. <laughs> and so, yeah, like some people, there's a huge, um, I don't know if huge is maybe a bit dramatic, but there's a big uh, difference for 
people who are on the classical dressage side of the argument, they think that competitive dressage is circus riding and it's abusive and it's nonsense. Um, and they're very passionate about it. And then people who ride competition, uh, so whether you call it comp competitive dressage, modern dressage, um, they think that classical dressage riders, you know, just sit around trotting around in the ring in 20 meter circles, patting their horse and, um, <laughs> never do, never doing anything, and, you know, talking theory. And, um, I don't, I don't call myself either on the classical dressage or modern dressage. I, I just ride horses. I don't know. Um, Is, what's, what are some of the fundamental differences as far as riding style that, um, that they sort of are discerning. Um, well, I know, think classical dressage, you know, if you, if you read any book that, that touts itself as a classical method, the pole is always, always the highest point. The horse's nose is always in front of the vertical. Um, and the rider must sit exactly so and never interfere with the horse. And, that all sounds wonderful, but I've uh, not read a, I've not met a horse that can read a book. And so they don't know, you know, they don't know that they're supposed to go that way. Um, you know, when you get a horse that's eight years old, it's been through five different trainers and it comes to you because it's naughty and it's crooked and it's all these things. Sometimes it needs to bend and sometimes it needs to put its head down and classical dressage riders would say that I'm a I'm a horrible rider and I'm a terrible person because I said get your head down horse um, and sometimes for safety reasons I think they need to get their head down there's a lot of reasons um, I am a big fan of the low deep and round and stretching a horse um, you know a long time not a long time ago but a while ago there was the whole rolker debate and it still goes on it, the right. Dutch riding is very very um curled up in the neck and I don't know how to do that so I don't try it but it seems to be working for them and some of those horses keep going until they're 18 years old so they're sound they're fit um whether we think it's beautiful or we think it's ugly that's you know that's a personal choice but it's I am always believing that as long as you're doing your best not to hurt the horse, then train on, you know? Well, it just, it feels like when you, you meet some people, like, like there's this just black and white answer to what is correct. You know, like it has to be correctness and, th and this is what that looks like. And yeah, I feel like there, there's nothing about any horse I've ever met in my lifetime that is, you know, that black and white. But That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and like, like I said, the horses don't read the book. They don't know that it's supposed to be exactly this way in this order on this timeline, so on and so forth. And also like, you know, Reiner Klimka is always um, hailed as an amazing classical dressage rider. And it's true. He's, you know, he was amazing and he's still held as this is how it should be. It's so harmonious, but the fact that I am not built like him, I am not six foot something with legs up to there. Mm -hmm. And I don't ride it. I don't ride in his saddle and I don't ride the same horses that he rode. And 
so for me to exactly replicate his style and his method, I would love to, but it's just, it's not working for me to, to try to be that person. So, and I have to find a little bit my own way. And I think you have to find your own way with every horse because they're all different. There's not just one system for one, you know, for every single type of horse out there. Well, and I feel that, you know, so many people, um, the, the difference maker can sometimes be what horse you're on. You know, there's so many people that now are, are producing off the track thoroughbreds as dressage horses. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine that is quite different than training a horse that has, you know, dressage, a dressage pedigree, you know, 16 generations back. Yeah. And, and just the different training, like an off the track thoroughbred, it's canter is not going to be the same balance after it's been on the track for a while that a, you know, say a four or five year old horse that's had a dressage upbringing, it's going to be a completely different balance. So applying those same rules, probably not going to have the same effect right away. Uh, in off the track thoroughbreds defense, I do think that usually their pole is the highest point when they're trying to learn <laughs> dressage and their nose is definitely in front of the vertical. So maybe they are doing it right. <laughs> they're, you know, by definition, they should be out there winning everything. <laughs> but yeah, but we should start a tradition. We should. <laughs> this is a dressage revolution podcast. Welcome. Thank you for listening. I know it's right. like hashtag unpopular opinion. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Um, so Aaron, I know that you, um, you know, have worked for some pretty famous and amazing, uh, people, of course, um, including Ingrid Klimka, who just won the Europeans and is the biggest badass on the planet. She's a total hero of mine, um, personally. Uh, so what is, what does she think about all of this? And can you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, the other, the other riders that you work, have worked for, what have you learned from them in this regard? Well, Ingrid is definitely, you know, under the category of classical dressage, but without the crazy, you know, she is, (laughs) she is really the best version of it. She, um, I was really fortunate when I worked for her, I was able to take lessons from Herr Stecken. Um, he was, uh, Reiner's mentor, uh, mentor and coach and has been coaching Ingrid, I think all the way along, Um, he was in his early nineties when I was there and he's the, he was the most amazing man. You know, he would, and that's really how I learned German to, to speak and understand German in the stables, because every lesson with him was exactly the same. You started your horse at the walk and you made them stretch and bring them up at the walk. And then same thing in the trot stretching and bringing up. And, you know, you methodically went through every step, regardless if you were on a three-year-old or a upper level horse and um you know just never deviated and I'll admit that there were times where I'm like oh my god if I could just pull this horse's head down I (laughs) I could I would be so happy and and if we have all been there I assure you (laughs) I'm not the only one who's thought that no um and it was amazing because, you know, Herr Stecken, he would, it didn't matter. I would try to do it in the corner behind his back and he would see me <laughs> and he'd call me out and wag his finger. And, you know, always with a smile, he would say, oh, nine, nine, nine. Oh, um, God, I love it. oh, he was so amazing. And he, you know, he, he passed away, I think within the last year and he must've been a hundred or 
somewhere right around there. So that was a big loss, but he was, he was really amazing. And it was always incredible that, you know, as much as I wanted to pull the horse's head down sometimes didn't matter after 30 minutes, the horses were always wonderful. It just, it was reliable. It worked every time. And it still is something, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, back off and go back to that, you know, letting the horse have a long neck. So Ingrid is definitely, you know, coming up, growing up in that system and still adhering to it. Um, and it obviously works very well for her. Um, yeah, she's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, she's doing all right. She seems to know. <laughs> her too. Um, and I mean, working for her was just amazing. It was incredible. And when I was there, I got to ride some top, top horses, both, you know, her dressage horses, of course, but I also got to sit on some of the eventers and, um, you know, I remember Bobby came when I was finishing with her, um, he was, he either came right at the end or right after I left, but I mean, he was a tough, strong young horse when she first got him. And it's so neat to see that he's turned into, you know, such a beast out there and just, they're such an amazing team. Um, but yeah, so I feel working like with it's like a huge testament to to Ingrid too that um, you know when you've when you've worked for somebody for a long period of time uh, and you still have really good things to say about them. That's oh, she, she is I, truly like one of the most great. amazing humans on the planet, and it's like she's not only a role model in the saddle, but also just as a human being. Like she, um, she's probably one of the busiest people I've ever met. You know, as a you know professional athlete. Um, mother of two children, you know, author, she's always, you know, asked to do, you know, speaking engagements and all these things. And she just has such an amazing positive, um, outlook like every day and really humble. Like one of my favorite stories when I worked for her, uh, she came back from the barn, back to the barn on a younger horse. And she kind of, you know, with a big smile on her face, threw her hands up and said, well, that made me feel like a beginner today. I have no idea what just happened. I'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> awesome, though. <laughs> right? You know, for, and she would. She had just come back from Beijing Olympics or something like that. Like you know, it's it's Ingrid Klimka, and she comes back and admits that she just had a total waste of a ride. And <laughs> yeah, big <laughs> smile awesome. on her face. So I was like, there is hope for me yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes, like that's the best thing that. Um, you know, that a professional that's so, you know, that you so look up to and that's so much better can do for you, um, is to, to say, I remember one time I had a really terrible, uh, lesson on, um, I was riding a horse, uh, that wasn't mine. It was in training with us. It was when I was a working student for Kelly Temple and, uh, I had just a terrible ride. Um, it was a cross country school. It went very poorly. And, um, I mean the kind of ride that you're almost in tears at the end, it mm -hmm. was terrible. Um, and I, you know, I'm putting the saddle away and I'm just like, don't cry, you idiot. Do not freaking cry in this barn gun. And <laughs> she just, she just quietly walks past me and said, you know, when I have rides like that, I just get on the next horse and it's always going to get better from there. And, you know, I just was like, okay, I can do like, yeah. I can do that. Like just, you know, to be told that like, you know, it some, happens. It's, it does, it happens. And, and the horses have bad days and riders have bad days and, you yeah. know, and that's okay. It's very cool. 
Yeah, it's it's. I think it's really hard when all you see is you know these top professionals in the competition ring because that's when even if things are going badly, you are going to make it look like it's not. Mm-hmm. And so for the average human to understand that they have bad rides, horses can be naughty just because they feel like it that day, or you know it's cold, whatever it is, and it doesn't matter how good of a rider you are. Sometimes you just go, ugh, that's not my day. All right, yeah. we'll try again. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was very amazing. I love it. We need to start at hashtag be like Ingrid. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I'm in. I'm in. Um, so, yeah, after Ingrid, um, what was really cool is I was able to go to Denmark. I, I worked at a breeding farm. After I left Ingrid's, I worked at a breeding farm and um, – and a sales barn at the same time and got a lot of really great experiences there. And then I had an opportunity to go to Denmark and work for the trainer, Morten Thompson. Mm -hmm. And Morten was on the Danish Olympic team sometime back. And he's just, it was really interesting because after being in Germany with the German system and, you know, everybody talks about classical training there, you know, Morten is a think outside the box kind of guy. And he, is not afraid to experiment with different ways of approaching a problem and finding the easiest way for the horse to understand. And so he's quite famous in the, you know, in the dressage scene for in hand work. Like he can make a donkey probably PF. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you can, with his, the way he does it, it's just so, it's so simple. You just teach the horse to lift up one leg and hold it. And then you go on from there. But, you know, any horse can, you know, they, if they can learn to pick their feet out, they can learn how to lift a leg. And um, so it's, and it makes it really a game. And I'll tell you, when I was in Germany with, you know, so-called classical riding, I would see horses trying to learn PF and they would come back with whip marks and just mm. covered in sweat and, you know, just, I don't know what their system was to teach the horse beyond kick and pull and Morton, you know, using a a baboo stick and a light tap, these horses over time, not in one session, but over time, they would learn how to do absolutely the hardest movements in dressage and they consider it a game. So, um, he was really fabulous to work for and it was extra cool because, um, Ingrid ended up taking lessons with him and he would go down to Germany and do clinics there and there was like it was like my magical moment as a working student when um Ingrid and Morton gave a presentation in um I think it was at like the Westphalian riding and driving school something like that um and he coached her with you know a lot of her really good horses and I got to go down with Morton and his wife and go watch and it was like that's my boss. And that's my old boss. This is amazing. Oh my wow. God. And I that still like cool. both of them. <laughs> and I still like, like both of them. Yeah. It was, it was really incredible. Um, but Morton was a really, you know, it was kind of a neat transition. Like he could, he could totally, you know, he learned through the classical system, but he also, you know, he, he would learn how circus riders would train their horses. He would learn how, you know, Western horsemanship people train their horses um and he and awesome like studying all of the like looking everywhere for answers not just within the dressage books yeah and it doesn't mean you take every single thing you you 
see and try it, you know, some things you can see and go, oh, clearly that's not going to work for me. But he wasn't, he was always open-minded to learn about these things. And um, Tristan Tucker is a, um, he's quite a a popular trainer and clinician now. And um, he has the TRT method, I think is his website. Mm -hmm. And um, I met Tristan also at Morton's and he and Morton, I think they still collaborate and work together. And Tristan is from Australia, you know, and he learned how to break horses in the outback, like real horsemanship, cowboy kind of stuff. And through training, you know, he can train a Grand Prix horse. He can, um, like, he's also incredibly creative because of his diverse background Mm -hmm. in horsemanship and um, response training. And so it's just, I think it's really neat that, you know, even though it's modern dressage and competitive dressage, there's still people who have such um, varied ways of getting there from, you know, circus, you know, learning things from the circus or learning things from a cowboy um, and just all the different, all the different routes you can take to get to the same place. It's very interesting. I love it. I think Justine and I are going to come, ship down from New Jersey and up from Florida to your farm for a lesson so you can teach us everything you know (laughs) oh my goodness that would be awesome (laughs) just bring some basil and grapefruit we'll have fun yes yay (laughs) love it Soledad O'Brien may be a highly esteemed broadcast journalist but did you know that she finds her work-life balance in riding horses we've got an exclusive sit-down interview with Soledad coming up in the August issue of Heels Down magazine Subscribe today for access to this and much more from the Heels Down team. And your first issue is free. Visit heelsdownmag.com for more info. All right, guys. So uh, I am not a big fitness person, but I do believe that being fit uh, and working out when you're not riding only helps you riding. But what do you got? But there are like so many different workout routine routines that are out there now. And I'm just curious, what do you guys do to stay fit when you're not actually riding? Um, I do Pilates once or twice a week. Um, I really don't like working out, but I love my Pilates <laughs> class. Um, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I have one of my good friends is, uh, instructor and she's a fox hunter so she also you know she understands what it's like to be in the tack and um is you know so the classes are really good and she and you know structures it for us barn girls when we're taking over and then sometimes we go for a cocktail after so i really like that Ooh, Ooh. that's does she teach um for like riders specifically or does she teach all types of people she teaches all types of people. I've been in classes with like uh, women in their late sixties who are, you know, competitive ballroom dancing and they whoop my Whoa. butt. So Pilates it's, it's, is tough though. That is like a legit hard workout that you, yeah. it's almost deceiving, you know? And then you're like, wow, this can really kick your butt. Yeah. Heather, you know, she'll show us how to do a certain exercise and she's like, okay, you just do this and this. And, and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally got that. And then I get on and I start shaking and nearly falling down and it's, you know, it's a four second exercise and I'm going to die. So (laughs) (laughs) when somebody's good at Pilates, they're really strong, really strong. So I'm, I'm trying, trying. I feel like I always like the people that 
that do um, Pilates and yoga regularly, like they always have like those beautiful, like li- like long muscles and like they have like really good core strength. Like it see, I have not done a lot of Pilates. I've done um, a decent amount of yoga, but not so much Pilates, but it seems to really like physically like sculpt you kind of like it seems to be a really good thing um for dressage riders too because it it is very focused on the core as I understand yeah yeah Yeah. and I like I've really noticed a difference um since I've started doing the classes like I'm I'm I've always been weaker on my right side and I can definitely feel that I at least I can engage that part of my body differently now it's still not totally balanced but it's really made a big difference Sure. I, I totally get that too. I do a lot of yoga in college. I was, I was like an extreme yoga person in that I, I took classes to be certified to be an instructor. Oh, did not, not only, know that. Yeah. It only took me a couple of years to like, for that to totally dwindle and wither away. And, <laughs> and I am not in my like classic yoga physique and I don't know if it'll ever come back, but I do take classes and I practice at home a lot. I feel like I know enough to, you know, at least know what workout is good for me, that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it is like a all body, unbelievable workout. And I've seen, I, I used to never be able to touch my toes fully, just, you know, from being a rider, tight hamstrings, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I remember when I first started getting into it, like your whole body changes and what you can physically do. It's, it's really amazing. So I do think it's a, a wonderful workout. And I know there are like so many different ways to do yoga now, like with goats or on horseback or (laughs) with cats on your head. Yeah. So (laughs) sweat it out and hallucinate in the hot yoga. But um, but it is wonderful. It's just so expensive. That's my only thing about fitness, like between CrossFit, all of the different things, like every fitness program is so expensive. And it's like all my money is already going to the horse. Right. But but I do enjoy yoga. There are varying levels of weirdness with yoga. I found too, uh, you know, there's some studios that, you know, you do the ohms and you do it may, it it can be really woo woo. And then there are other, uh, yoga studios that I've been to where they play Britney's old Britney Spears from the nineties and you just sweat your butt off and the instructors yelling downward dog, K upward dog, like, Let's yeah. get it done. Like burn, burn, oh, burn. And you're like, Whoa. like yoga. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, there are definitely two. I've seen the two extremes too. So I've always sort of liked one that kind of marries the two because I want it. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I go to some of these more spiritual classes and then I'm disappointed that it wasn't uh, intense enough of a workout for me. Like it was great and relaxing and I feel right. stretched out and, and limber. But I, I also do it for the actual fitness. Like I want to be sweaty, you know? So. Yeah. For sure. I what do you do, the- Caroline? Um, so I have also done a lot of yoga, um, but my favorite thing to do that I've become very focused on, actually, uh, I probably spend just as much time doing uh, doing this as I do riding each week, I would say, maybe even more at this point. Um, I've gotten really into uh, lifting weights and specifically powerlifting, um, which is not something you hear of tons of girls doing, but 
there actually are a lot more women getting into powerlifting and then Olympic weightlifting as well. Yeah. Um, that sounds so badass. I know. It's like, <laughs> damn, girl, that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to take my Pilates and just leave. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, um, wow. well, I mean, who knows how many actual setups I could do. So I, you might have me there, but, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very cool. It's, um, it's very much of a community and there, again, there are a lot more women getting into it. Um, powerlifting is, uh, the main lifts for powerlifting, which I have not competed yet. Uh, I would be interested in competing at some point, but, I'm very new to it. I've only been, I've been doing it for under a year. Um, but powerlifting, if you compete, your lifts are deadlift, squat, and bench. Um, then there's also people that do Olympic weightlifting, which that I think is like even more badass. I think people that do Olympic weightlifting are so freaking cool. And if it wasn't so, uh, necessary to have a coach, I would probably get into that a bit more, but Olympic weightlifting Uh, those movements are things like the clean and jerk and snatch and where, you know, the weight is overhead. Um, you know, they're cleaning the weight from the, from the ground all the way overhead. Um, and they are crazy strong and crazy athletic and amazing. Um, CrossFit, which most people are familiar with, uh, CrossFit does a lot of weightlifting. So that's Olympic weightlifting. Um, uh, yeah, again, like the, the clean and jerk is, you know, something that you see a lot of people in CrossFit doing, uh, CrossFit combines other, um, other things. I actually did do CrossFit in college for about a year. Did you like it? Uh, I got super fit doing it. Um, definitely the most, uh, definitely the most, um, visible abs I've ever had, which is not, they were not that visible. So don't be very impressed. Um, (laughs) but if I really tried and maybe used some makeup, they were there. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I did like it. The, the problem for, for me was that, uh, you're doing everything really fast. Um, you're doing a lot of things for time. So, uh, that's really, um, that can be, make you really prone to injuries when you're doing Olympic lifts basically oh, yeah. as fast as you possibly can. And I'm so crazy competitive that I would really go like, <laughs> I don't know if we can say this on this podcast. I would really go balls out and go as hard as I possibly could. And, uh, just, I just felt really beat up all the time. Uh, yeah. so I kind of stepped away from CrossFit. Then I did yoga for a couple of years. And then after I, broke my arm, um, and had to have, I broke both bones in my arm completely through, they were fully displaced and I had uh, surgery to, um, plate and screw them all back together. Um, after I recovered from that, uh, wait, that's crazy. That like, are you okay? <laughs> that's like a major <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> Jeez, right? um, wow. I am okay. Uh, that was a little over, that was about a year and a half ago. It was February of 2016. Um, so basically the, the reason that I got into powerlifting is because I, um, knew that I was going to have to have a second surgery. Um, so at some point I will have to have a second surgery to get the plates and pins removed because they are decently painful. Um, and I just want them out. Um, and they can, you can leave them in if they're not causing you any trouble, but I can still feel mine. And like, you know, if I accidentally hit my arm on 
the corner of a desk. Like it's very painful. So I'll get them out at some point. And they said, I was kind of like, what can I do to make sure that I recover as quickly as possible when I get that second surgery? And they were like, just build your bone density. So that's how I basically got into powerlifting. Wow. Um, and when I, I told huh. my doctor that I had picked up powerlifting um, when I went in for uh, my, fi- like my final visit with them, it was like a year after my surgery. And I go, I started powerlifting because you told me to build my bone density. And he just looked at me and just blinked one time. And he goes, that's not really what I meant. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then he just kind of was like, you're kind of like an individual. (laughs) um, But I really love it. And uh, I have I just moved back to New Jersey and I have joined a um, powerlifting gym up here. It's called Adelante Barbell Club. And, um, anyone that is interested in, um, you know, being, being strong and kind of lifting weights and enjoys the feeling of lifting weights, um, you should consider powerlifting or weightlifting because it's, it's really growing, um, as a sport for women, women are feeling very, you know, empowered by it. And it's a really amazing workout. Um, and you know, a lot of the women that do it, you don't, you don't get huge. I mean, you can get huge, I guess, if you, uh, you know, take the supplements and eat, you know, (laughs) however you do to get huge. But I am a normal athletic looking girl. I'm not enormous. I don't, I'm not like jacked. Um, so that's not something you have to worry about either. Um, so I encourage people to look into it because I was never this passionate about any form of working out. And now I am like a gym rat. So it's pretty cool. How do you think it makes you a better rider? Yeah, that was my question too. Like, how does, how does it help you when you're riding? It has helped my riding so much. Um, so I, of course, um, was coming back from a pretty major injury. Um, so I had, you know, getting back on a horse again, which I got back on a horse, uh, certainly well before I started lifting, um, after breaking my arm, I had, I had nothing. I had no core strength. I mean, I felt like, a, you know, goldfish that had been taken out of water and put on a saddle. It was horrid. It was terrible. So, um, powerlifting has strengthened my core so much and my position. It's, it's not difficult for me to hold my position anymore. It's not difficult for me to sit the trot on my horse anymore. It's, it has improved my riding so much just from, um, being strong. I don't think I ever knew how important it was to be, um, you have to, you know, of course you guys can, you know, so relate to like, you know, when you, when you work out and you do it regularly, you feel so much better in the saddle. And I feel that I'm a better rider in that because I'm strong, I can be soft Um, because I have my balance all the time and I, you know, I can, my, my seat is there and I can rely on my seat. So I'm not ever, you know, trying to kind of balance on the reins or, um, getting, you know, left behind. But I have, I have to ask if a horse decides it's going to be a stinker, take the bit and run off. Can you just say, uh, uh, and like, (laughs) like like give them a muscle flex and just shut that down? Nope. (laughs) 
Here's the gun show. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the gun show. You're not going anywhere. Right? <laughs> uh, maybe one day. I don't feel like that right now. However, however but um, I, you know, I've managed to load a couple of naughty horses on the trailer pretty easily. <laughs> a lot easier than I thought I would. Maybe it's because I can drag them in. I'm not sure, but pick them up um, and push. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna get to the point that I can just pick horses up and make them do whatever I want, and then I'll know I've really made it. <laughs> You've arrived. I've arrived. Powerlifting pays off. Awesome. So, yeah, everyone should look into it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, you're not going to turn into a man doing it. I'm not a man yet. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. What um, endorsement. <laughs> right. And for for all of I know that we have a decent amount of readers that um, are pretty into fitness and into eating well and into their nutrition and taking care of themselves. Um, so one thing that you can check out, um, if you go to horsejunkiesunited.com is we're doing a six week fitness challenge in partnership with back on track. Um, and they are the, uh, they're leading the hashtag B B O T squad fitness challenge. Um, so if you want to check that out and, um, potentially win some back on track gear, uh, you can head over to horsejunkiesunited.com and find out how to participate. There are tons of people that have already sent their um, their entries in, and they've sent their photos in. And uh, you know, there's we have CrossFitters there that are involved. We have uh, you know fitness YouTubers, um, lots of different people there. So you can check that out on horsejunkiesunited.com. It's my probably favorite part of the episode when we do this, and I don't know why I love it so much. But, Erin, you are in for a treat because at the end of each episode, we play this super nerdy <laughs> game that I love for some reason called Rose and Thorn. And how you play is you say the thing that you're most excited about in the next week um, and or the best thing that happened to you in the past week um, or... Uh, well, sorry. And then the thorn is, um, you say the worst thing or like the biggest bummer from, from your week. Got it. Uh huh. I think so. Okay. <laughs> have you had, <laughs> have you had enough cocktails? to play? <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough cocktails that I can't think of anything bad. That's my only problem. Oh, wait, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, that um, is good. Justine, Thanks. what's your rose and thorn? All right. So my rose is that Mikey, my non-sweating thoroughbred, started sweating this week. Oh my God! Finally! Yay! Hooray! What What did you do differently? Uh, we've done like a thousand and one things, but I I honestly think it was the acupuncture. He went back again wow. for a second appointment, and he's he started sweating immediately during that. So, and then we I I detoxed him. I don't know. If, it's the first time I've ever detoxed a horse, but it's been really interesting. Is that so an I, acupuncture thing? Yeah, the acupuncturist gave me this like two week detox. So he's been on that and he's had two acupuncture point, appointments. <laughs> like, I'm like imagining Mikey drinking like a bunch of beet juice and tea. I know. So it, <laughs> he's on like some Chinese herbs and on the detox. And yeah, but he uh, but he's sweating. Like I rode him yesterday. Yeah. And, and he sweat. It's the first time I've ridden my horse in like six weeks. So thank God. Um, 
But then my thorn, I guess, is that I have to work on Saturday, and that's never fun. Ew. I know. I'm sorry. Ugh. So maybe you can <laughs> ride. Maybe you can ride before or after. Maybe. Hopefully. All right, Erin. What's your rose and thorn? Um, my rose is coming up uh, in a just over a week. I'm bringing in a clinician from Europe, and he's at the European Championships this you know coming up. So I'm. Very excited that he's going to come over and teach here for his first clinic in the U.S. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then I guess my thorn, like really, if I have to think about the worst thing going on, is that we're already trying to plan for Florida. And I'm not a good planner. And it's just a lot of work. And that's that's the best worst problem to have right now. Wow, right? that sounds so hard for you, Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds really I bet rough. I bet there's a lot of pity going on out there. Praying for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caroline. Erin's too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> like, oh. that's her. <laughs> that's her problem. That's going to be my new hashtag. There it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What about uh, you, Caroline? Uh, my thorn is that... Um, my horse is Lyme titer after um, being treated for a month. My horse's Lyme titer went up. So well, like I had that riddle me freaking that. How does that happen? I don't know. Did you wait? Did you have that happen, Aaron? Yeah, it did. And um, what my vet said is it might have been, you know, from the time they did the first titer and then, you know, by the time they get that back and you start treatment, the numbers could have gone up already. And then for whatever reason, they don't go down. But that exact same thing happened to me. And the horse responded really well to the first round of antibiotics. Did but you we, do Oxytet or minocycline or Doxy? Uh, we did minocycline. Okay. And like, so he seemed totally fine. But based on the numbers, we are treating him again. And we're probably about halfway through his second treatment. And I mean, there's no difference. So it's Lyme confuses me beyond its explanation. It, I, oh my gosh, it's the most frustrating thing in the entire world. Yeah, and this yeah. horse is, you know, it, ma- it made her feel really bad. It made her lame. You know, she had this wandering mm-hmm. kind of lameness. We wasn't, we weren't sure what was going on. We couldn't nail anything down. Um, we think that this is a very chronic case. Um, her titers indicate that she does have chronic Lyme. So we really don't know why it's gone up. Um, other yeah. than the fact that it's just horribly chronic for her. Um, so that uh, is a real uh, frustrating thing. It's also a real blow to the old bank account. Um, yes. So <laughs> I'm like really praying that this uh, wraps up soon because I am pretty over this uh, whole uh, Lyme thing. It's pretty frustrating. So that's my thorn. Yeah. My rose. I think my rose is that um, I have now successfully moved to New Jersey. I really like my house. And, um, I'm living with my boyfriend of five and a half years after we were long distance for four of those years. Well, really almost five of those years. So that's a long time. We're pretty like, we're pretty thrilled, um, to be in the same, just to be in the same zip code. I mean, we were long distance as in I was in Virginia or North Carolina and he was in New York. We were long distance, not long long distance. Uh, so I would say that's a pretty good rose and, um, we haven't killed each other yet. 
Uh, <laughs> so I think it's going pretty well. <laughs> so that's my rose. Sounds good. So if you want to hear more from us, you can check out Heels Down Magazine. Heels Down Magazine is an interactive digital magazine on your phone or your tablet, so you can take it anywhere. You can download it on iTunes or Google Play or check out our website at heelsdownmag.com. We will be releasing episodes of Happy Hour on the second and last Fridays of each month. And did you know that you can get the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone? It's super easy. Just search for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's extremely easy to use, so no excuses. And you can find Heels Down Happy Hour there or on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. So what are we choosing to, guys? Uh, squishy balls. <laughs> Definitely squishy balls. <laughs> I feel that every episode of this podcast just gets increasingly inappropriate. <laughs> so it only seems right to cheers to squishy balls. Cheers. cheers.